Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to episode 303 of Flags Fly Forever, a baseball prospectus fantasy baseball podcast. I am your co-host, Mike Gianella, and with me again is your other co-host, John Hagelin. John, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, just made a pick in the great fantasy baseball imitational, and uh, I guess that means we are fully in the middle of, of draft season now, uh, so... Yeah. How, how, yeah. How are you feeling about things? I'm with TGFBI or in general. I, I, you I, know, you, I <laughs> sure. Both. Well, well I, I mean, in general, I'm feeling all right. It, it's always fun to be drafting and it, it just reminds you like kind of, of why we do this. Like it, it, sometimes at the end of the regular season or before any drafts, it just feels like a grind sometimes or feels like, ah, oh, like so many articles, like so many things to research, but this is why we do it, right? Like th- this is what makes it worth it is you know looking at your team look at the players bring together making decisions and feeling actually informed about those decisions as opposed to you know eeny meeny miny mo and i was going to try to think of a player named mo and i i failed so yeah move on yeah well i was trying to think of a contemporary player because yeah (laughs) there's there's several mo's that go way back in the day there's mo sizlak too but he's he's not a baseball player um, so we are going to talk. We are going to talk about outfield tonight. We're not going to talk so much about TGFBI, although given that we're both drafting and, and John just made a pick, I'm sure it'll come up in in conversation. Um, just because outfield is a very intriguing position, I've I've heard people say, and John, I, I want to know, like, just to tee this off, you agree or disagree with this? Some people have said it's a really thin position and thinner than in the past. What I think is that it's a little less top-heavy, but the depth to me is still there. And also, because there's so many outfielders, it's more a matter to me of you're going to find outfielders you like who are going to be more valuable to you than their ADP. And I, I think that's what gets lost in this conversation is that with so many outfielders at the back end, you're, you're going to find your targets. Yeah, it's kind of the choose your own adventure of of positions, and yeah, I think you put it well. Um, it is it it it's top or it's it has kind of a long tail of relevant players, so it thins out at the top. But then you you really have. I'm just looking at my ranks, and I'm going down to about like outfielder sixty or so before I start to maybe even deeper. Um, you know where there are like full time players that contribute in some way in fantasy. Um, so, you know, in a 15 team league, um, there'll be 75 outfielders that are starting. Uh, so I think you really can put together an outfield that works for your team build. And that's really the, the important thing is, especially in later rounds. And we've talked about this with our own TGFBI drafts that you do have a lot of flexibility to kind of shift toward power or even speed. There's actually quite a few late speed options. So it is, it is, a it's maybe thinner at the top, but I do feel like it gives you lots of options, you know, through the draft. Yeah. So at the, so when you say it's thinner at the top and, and we'll get into this now, like just, just to be very clear, I don't think it's the very top, like the very top is, is oh, where no. a lot of the strength oh, is. It, it's kind of that next tier, like the, those, that round three to six where 
it feels like there used to be more and it's fallen off just a little bit. So let, let's start by looking at the very top. So what we're going to do tonight for, for the, like the, the top and then that next group, like rounds three to six, we're going to not do a deep dive, but like talk about these players. Then after that, because there's so many more, so many outfielders, we're going to do less of an individual focus uh, just because we're, we're not going to be doing a four hour podcast. We're not going to do what I've heard some people do, which is like three or four parts. Uh, but we're we're going to do more of like just a, a strategy from that point on. But let's start with the players that we are going to talk about. So the first two rounds, there are nine outfielders and one of those are in the periphery. We're going to you know mention him. And this does not include Mookie Betts, by the way. These are the, the pure outfielder only players. So in order, order, there's Ronald Acuna Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Corbin Carroll, Kyle Tucker, Fernando Tatis Jr., Aaron Judge, Juan Soto, Jordan Alvarez, and Michael Harris. So all these players, with the exception of Alvarez, who's going right at the 15-16 turn, and Harris, who's going at the 2-3 turn, they're all first rounders. And, and really, I, I think there's things you can quibble about with with some of these players and, and maybe say that they could be valued a little lower. But of all these players going in the first round, it, it's kind of hard to make too much of an argument against any of them. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, the, the one player that I think I feel less confident about, although it's very clear where the upside is, is Corbin Carroll. And I think that's mainly because um, you know, he really stands out among these first round outfielders for the the lower quality of his batted balls. Um, and he also, you know, is coming off of um, shoulder injuries, plural. And so, you know, I, I in some ways I'm looking for reasons not to take him like in the top four, but I wouldn't hold it against anyone who did because obviously he's got such a a high uh, ceiling for stolen bases, and he's going to be uh, strong in all the other categories. But I, I have a little bit of pause on him where I don't skills-wise with a lot of the other players in the first round. Yeah, I, and I see what you're saying for sure. Like I'm, I'm kind of neutral on him. Like he, he's going fourth overall. I, I, if I had the fourth pick, I might not take him. Like if I had the fifth or sixth pick, I almost certainly would. So that's it's probably where I am with Carroll. Um, so I'm okay with him, but I also see what you're saying, which is that there are there is some risk. I am somewhat concerned about the shoulder, and it is that idea with a first round pick. Like you, you don't want to, you know, it's the whole cliche. Like you can't, um, you know, necessarily win your draft in the first round. Although Acuna would would certainly seem to disprove that notion, but. You can lose it. And that, that's the thing with Carroll. Like of all these outfielders, it, it does feel like if he has issues with the shoulder, if he loses some of the power and he's a 10 to 15 home run hitter instead, then he's relying so much on the steal. So I will say, you know, 285 average, 116 runs. It, it does seem to me that even if, you know, he is like a 10 to 15 home run hitter because of the shoulder, there's still enough there that you're not going to be completely bummed with this pick it's going to be more like ah like i'm kind of disappointed yeah i mean that's that's true i mean and we're talking about maybe you know um like you if he felt if he'd fallen to me at six and tgfbi would have been all over it so yeah. we're talking a matter of a couple picks um right tons of and tons of, of fantasy upside there um it's just you know the skills and injury history are a little bit uh risky for someone you're taking in the front yeah. half first round yeah and, and the other the other thing here like it, it, that that kind of stands out to me again outside of harris just as he's he's going much later and almost doesn't really fit here judge soto and alvarez are you know going later i i believe i know with judge there and alvarez there, there's some injury concern but i think they're really going later because they don't run or you know soto runs a little bit but they don't run as much as the other outfielders and and that feels like the imperative here which is with this early, especially first half of the first round pick, you want to get power and speed. Like I, I know Judge, you know, I've, I've seen this like both with the Axe and other projection models. He ranks very highly, and I, I think Soto in our model and the Axe ranks even more highly than he does in like the non BP models. But that's a concern, right? It, it's a sense of like, well, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to get a guy in the first round who's barely going to run or not run at all, and then have to pick that up later. Um, I mean, be, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's that, you know, those players are valuable, but it just does put added pressure on the rest of your draft. And you can speak to this because you, you drafted judge in labor and you drafted Alvarez in the, in the second round uh, pick 17 uh, in TGFBI. And so you can speak to, and we've talked about just the challenges of trying to um, look for speed as you go throughout your draft, because the threshold for steals is so much higher in this new environment or projects to be at yeah. least so well yeah and, and i i think the other thing too and this is a good segue or you know this will come up later in the conversation is for the most part outside of these elite outfielders um you really have to give something up in a lot of cases to get that speed like it and, and there's a reason for it. you know these players are going later like you're, you're buying the speed so if you're buying the speed and i think this matters more in an overall contest like tgfbi or one of the nfbc leagues um you do have to consider that now this is why in labor and why in other leagues uh, i'll be like well I, you know I, I took judge in labor i'm not going to worry about it so much if, if i get the speed i need to get fine if I only get five or six points in the category, there's no overall component. That's that's okay. In that case, I quite literally sacrificed like steals for a lot of power, and and that's that's kind of the play there. Um, so, is there anyone here that you want to else that you want to talk about specifically? I I don't want to gloss over you know this list, but really, it, it's it, you know it, it, again it's outside of Harris maybe. This is sort of boring to me. Like these, like I said, these players are all kind of worth what they're worth. I, I mean, we we could have a, a devil's advocate conversation about, you know, Acuna and will he actually be worth the number one, you know, pick? And in reality, is it's probably a coin flip. But they, I think for people who don't know data, that's just a sign of how good he is. Uh, because usually the number one pick, it, we we know they're not going to return that value just because that's the way the law of averages works. He's so far ahead of the rest of the pack, though, that there isn't any real case to not take him number one. Well, I mean, he could he could be injured for 25 percent of the year or perform to, you know, 75, 80 percent of last year's level and still be, if not the, the number one player, a top three to five player in fantasy. So, well, yeah, well, well, honestly, if I have a concern with Acuna and, you know, I have this more of this concern with Tatis, it is the injury, like or the injury history. It is the idea that I, I I find, and I want to bring this up before we move on to the next group. This is my like peeve with Aaron Judge. Like everyone goes on and on about injury proneness, and it's like, well, he's had more plate appearances the last three years than either Acuna and especially Tatis. He's not brittle. He he had one injury, you know, last year, which was kind of a freak injury. He's otherwise been pretty healthy, and yes, he's not going to play. He, he's not Marcus Semi or Freddie Freeman. He's not going to play 150, 160 games. But if you get 140 games out of Judge this year, 135 games at the power he can produce, I think that's what you're looking at. It's like, well, and and you'll just take that to the bank. And it's the same with Acuna. Like if Acuna misses 25 games this year, I'm not going to be shocked. I'll be like, yeah, he's he's been hurt in the past, and he was a little banged up again this year. Yeah, I mean, another, you know, you could be worried about, well, if Acuna gets injured and still plays, but maybe stops running. But, you you know, you can lay awake at night and try to invent scenarios where yeah. Acuna is not the number one fantasy player. And if you do that, you need to, um, you know, take some, take, have a stiff drink, take some sleeping pills, because <laughs> you're just inventing nightmares where there shouldn't yeah. be any. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's the nature of most of the first round round, quite honestly. So do you want to move on to the next group? Yeah, let's get to the interesting players. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's interesting because this is what you were talking about, where I feel that the depth drops off compared to previous years. And also, it's less a depth. It's more that all these players, I, I suppose, have challenges where it's like, yeah, I could take this player in X round, but I, I have my concerns. So let, let's go through these names. There's eight players here. Um, there's Luis Robert Jr., Randy Rosarena, Adelis Garcia, Nolan Jones, Mike Trout, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Josh Lowe, and Christian Yelich. So, John, answer what I just said here. What What's wrong with this group? Like, what, what is it about this group that makes you look at it and go, eh? Um, you know, I... <laughs> I mean, for some players, it's it's fairly obvious, right? With with Trout, it's 
it's the the uh, the health with Nolan Jones. It's the very small sample we have, albeit a very good sample. With Luis Robert, I mean, it's it's um, inconsistency or it's streakiness, I guess, but it's also the team contacts. Um, and then you know, I think then there are players like um, you know, Rosarena and Garcia. I think are fairly. Uh, have fairly high floors, but they're just they're just not quite at the level of those top two, uh, the the picks and the, the outfielders in the first two rounds. So, you know, it's a variety of hesitations that you would have on th- these players. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is there is there anyone? I know I know you like uh, jazz in this group, but um, is there well, anyone else you want to talk about here? I, actually, it's really funny you say that. I I I'm okay with jazz, but. Probably the players I like here are, are Robert because I, I, he last year he went close to 40-20. And, and yes, I know he has the injury history. And unlike with Judge, I'm not, not going to schluff it off. Like, it is a thing. But I, I feel comfortable with him here. And then jo- Josh Lowe is the other one I like because I, I see people saying that the Rays might platoon him. But I look at that offense and I'm like, really? Like, who's he going to platoon with? I, I think he's going to play. And... Even if the power drops off a little bit, he was extremely successful in steals. And you could be buying into like a, a 2040 hitter. You could be buying into a lot of what Corbin Carroll is like a few rounds later. And and that's that's kind of what I, I like about Lowe. It just feels like he's a big potential speed contributor with power, or with enough power, like kind of going late. Um, you know, as far as like a player I don't like here, yes, I get the upside, but boy, does Mike Trout at this point, I'm just finally concerned enough about him given the age, given the health. Like, yeah, yes, I know the batted ball numbers last year were still off the charts because he's Mike Trout. And he, but he doesn't run. The batting average was down. It feels like he's really going to have to like play like 130 games to, to kind of get to this or 120 games. And are you confident in Mike Trout playing 120, 130 games? Because I'm, I'm not. It's it's very weird to you know s- sort of um, doubt <laughs> doubt Mike Trout, but it, you you really don't want to be drafting a player this early who you can almost be certain isn't going to play a full season. I mean, it just seems like you're creating problems where you don't need to. Yeah. So uh, I I mean I, honestly, yeah, I think I think fourth round is is pretty high for Trout. Um, or wherever is is he? Is his ADP? Let's it's like see. the back. Yeah, it's the it's like the back end of the. Well, actually, no. Okay, it's, actually, it's fifth. Yeah, it's a it's the fifth round. Yeah. Yeah, but and I still, I, I'm I'm not. It's it's really hard. I mean, I feel like objectively that's not a bad price, but I am I well, going to take him there? I doubt it. Well, it, this this is the other thing too, which is it, a lot of the players here, almost all of them, outside of Trout, there's there's some combination of power and speed. Um, and you know, Garcia is kind of the one exception. Cause then I've heard people say this a lot. Like he, he ran less last year. The Rangers don't really run a lot. He might not run as much. And maybe that's true, but you're still probably looking at 10 to 15 steals from Garcia. It's something. Whereas trout, we know, like, and even though he's fast, I don't think about trout, even though he's fast, I just don't think he's going to run. I don't think the angels are going to risk it at all. So you're already down on that category. Like like yeah. every everyone else, like even Jazz, like yeah, yes, I know Chisholm has all sorts of injury risk, but it, it's not hard to see him if he plays half a season giving you like something close to 2020, where you're like, okay, well that's stunk, but 2020 or close to it plus half a season's replacement, okay, I'll I'll live with that. Yeah, no, just a couple of points, and this is a little bit broader. I mean, one comes out of what you were saying about um, Josh Lowe. Uh, and the the risk of him platooning. The thing about the Rays and you know the Giants are certainly another team like this is that you can only platoon so many spots in the lineup. So if you do have players that can play every day, that have the defense and you know at least enough of a um, you know uh, they can hold their own at least against same sided um, arms then you really have to play those players. You cannot platoon everybody. Um, and the, the other point I wanted to make is, uh, yes, with Garcia, you know, it's interesting. His he, he his steals went way down in an environment where everyone was running more. And then the projections kind of split the difference. You see most of them in the teens, around 15. 
probably I would say, you know, 12-ish is what I would probably be comfortable with. 12 is a lot more than zero when it yeah. comes to steals. Because if you multiply that throughout several spots on your roster, um, that that's that's what you need really is you need you need spots where you're getting just even high single digit steals or low double digit steals. Um, but if you have, you know, three or four spots, I think we talked about this in relation to Corey Seager. Um, if you have, uh, you know, two or three like zeros or twos, that's where you really start to fall off in steals. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other thing too, you know, just, just as a, an aside to your side, stolen base projections I, I they don't know what to do with the new environment mm-hmm. and that's that's some of the problem like i know we we talked about this with cj abrams like cj abrams really is projection it's like well you know if he's actually ellie de la cruz is probably an even better example you know if ellie de la cruz hits like 240 or 250 or whatever i see projected for him he's going to steal like 50 to 60 bases like he's not going and, and maybe more but he's not going to steal the 35 bases that the models are showing for him and that that's part of the the challenge too, and and that's why like with players like Chisholm, with players like like Lowe to you know kind of keep it here in the outfield, I see a little more upside in them. You know, as opposed to someone like a Rosarena, where you know I look at his steals, they stay pretty static. You know, after the changes, and I'm like, well, I'm willing to bet they're going to just stay static again. Although I know that they might not, because there's going to be so much more fluctuation, you know, in the category because of the changes. Yeah. So let me ask you then, um, as an aside to your aside on my aside, um, how, how, what do you have a method for determining which players you think might be really under projected for steals? Like you mentioned Abrams and you mentioned Ellie, like, I know we've talked about with Abrams and I'm sorry, I'm veering from outfield for a second. Um, you talked about his second half steals. Um, he, he was a very, successful base dealer. I mean, you're looking at those kinds of things. If you're mentally or making your own projections and thinking, yeah, this guy's projected for 20, but I think he could steal 35. Well, so what, what I'm, I'm looking at a couple of things. One is I am looking at the success rate, you know, which Abrams had in the second half, which, which Lowe had, but, and this is one reason I'm, I'm not necessarily like, you know, thinking that Trey Turner is going to go out and steal 50, or, you know, why Jose Altuve isn't going to start have a big jump. I am looking at age. Mm-hmm. Age historically matters. And even if you go back to, like, like 1987, which was the last year of, like, a big, like, stolen base influx. Yes, there are players who are older who run. But they're kind of the exception to the rule. And, like, they're, they're the kind of players, like, I always think of this archetype just because I, I remember this. Like, they're sort of players like Reggie Jackson when he was getting older. Like, not all the way at the end, but, like, toward the end where... It's the smart base runner, right? Like it's the player. Actually, Chase Utley is probably a better example, like a, a more recent example of somebody who. Yes, you have to bring the millennials in and a player that they remember. Yeah, I was going to say Reggie Jackson. People probably think basketball. So, um, Chase Utley was was a player, you know, in toward not the very end, but again, when he was older, he was a smart base runner. Where he picked the spots. He kind of was like, okay, like I'm I'm going to you know steal some bases. I think that's what I see from some of the older players. And I'm not suggesting Trey, that's Trey Turner. He's still very fast, but some of it has more to do with like wear and tear, not when I get injured, you know, even a team philosophy, like, well, you know, we don't necessarily want you running all that much. And, and this is another piece of it too, which is I, I look at Abrams and I think he'll run because what, what do the nationals have to lose? Like they're, they're not going anywhere. Like if Abrams does get hurt, they're, season is over kind of before it starts and I'm not suggesting that they want him to, but it's just one of those things. So, so those, those are the factors I'm looking at. It's, it's more art than science. Like it's certainly not an exact thing, but I, I want players kind of under 30 who have speed and are successful and also like have some, are showing some signs of improvement. Th- those are, those are probably the things that I'm looking most for in terms of, of upside. And then, you know, someone I took today in TGFBI and we'll, we'll get to him, you know, in the next segment, uh, Cedric Mullins, you know, he's a player who was hurt last year. Um, the steals didn't jump up. Like I'm kind of looking at him as somebody who the steals could come back this year just because he's run before in the old environment. And last year, because he had like multiple groin injuries and maybe the second half was just aggravated. The first one, he, he just didn't run as much because of that injury. Yeah. Very good. 
Um, let's, do let's keep we, it moving. All right. Well, before we keep it moving, let let's keep things moving in a different way. Uh, with a word from our, our friends at Fantrax. I've been talking about them every week. Um, you know them. They are a leader in the industry for fantasy sports, fantasy baseball, fantasy football. You name it, they do it. Uh, they're the hosts for Tout Wars and all the various like uh, types of leagues they're doing. Uh, Tout Wars just had a saves plus holds league, and Fantrax had it covered. Um, whether you're an existing customer, you know, coming back to them, or if you're a new customer, if you have a stat service and you're not happy with them, or maybe they're not quite doing all the things you want to do, Fantrax is completely customizable. It's very easy to download your league. Um, I will also say, you know, I've done drafts on Fantrax. It's it's very user friendly. Like I'm actually out there looking at the Tout uh, drafted hole now, and it's kind of cool. There, there's like little little pictures of the players, you know, along with the round that they went in. But you can toggle through too. You can look at the team. You can look at the round and, and just look at it with the less visual if you, if you want to do that. So it's just a very great site as far as um, their fantasy service. So don't forget Fantrax. It's your home for fantasy sports. Okay. So now, as I promised, we are not going to go through every one of these outfielders. Uh, although I, I do feel like uh, David Letterman in the old days, once again, I'm going to throw it to the older listeners, like how are we doing on time? I think we're doing pretty good on time. Um, but rather than read off a name here of, of these outfielders in rounds seven through 13, and I, I think by my count, John, there's 20 outfielders here. We're, we're not going to talk about 20 outfielders. No. I want to talk a little bit more kind of about philosophy, like how we approach our drafts. And I know you, we're in the middle of our TGFBIs. We're in different leagues. Um, I did labor. Um, you, you did worth, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily want to know which outfielders you picked, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious more as to like, and I understand it's draft dependent, but mm-hmm. is there a type of outfielder you'd like here? Like, it, is there a philosophy you have, or does it really just depend on, on your draft? It really depends on the draft. I mean, I will say in the Worf draft, I started with, um, Fernando Tatis in the first round and I held off for, for a long time, um, and honestly, I, I think I um, I didn't draft enough outfielders early enough. And so it, maybe the lesson I learned from that was not so much that you need an outfielder super early, but that, you know, you, you want a few from these kind this maybe started in this tier. I think this is maybe the last tier where I'd want to draft my first outfielder. And, and that's what I did in... Um, TGFBI just took George Springer in round eight. And for my build in that league, um, essentially what I'm looking for, because I got speed early, I got starting pitching early, um, I got a closer. I'm really trying to backfill with counting stats, particularly power, but you know, players that can contribute a bit in all five categories are really useful to me. So I was, you know, looking at players like Springer and Teoscar Hernandez and Seiya Suzuki. Um, Springer's the one I ended up with, but, um, yeah, I, in this, in this tier, I think if, if you already have, um, you know, your foundation set up, um, what I'm looking for here really is, is just, uh, fill in those categories as much as I can. Yeah. Now, now something I, I see about this tier that that's kind of interesting is that with, with two well, with three exceptions, um, Jorge Soler at the bottom, there aren't necessarily the, and, and this might be when people, why people talk about how outfields weak. Um, and each time I say there's two or three exceptions, I find another one, but there's a handful of power, like strong power outfielders where 30 home runs is, is a possible expectation. There's Kyle Schwarber who 40 home runs is a possible expectation, but he comes with a potentially risky average. I know Timothy Jackson made a pretty good case um, over at BP as to why Schwarber could exceed that. He was playing through an injury last year. And, you know, Timothy made the point that, you know, Schwarber could hit like 240, even 250, which if he does that, he's certainly going to be a bargain, you know, at this like early seventh round price. But I think that that's some of it is that there, there isn't the power as much of that power here as I think we used to expect and it's a sign of how the position has changed. And it, it's one thing for me, I, I noticed too, in, in doing like my ADP piece, 
outfield stats overall might be down, but as a percentage, not just as a raw number, but as a percentage across the league, um, outfield outfield steals, I believe they went up from, I think it was like 51% of the total you know, stats contributed to 55%. I know it might not sound like a lot, but like a 4% jump, like across the whole position from one season to the next is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- this to me is why I think it's particularly important to get your stolen bases or at least some of your stolen bases here. Um, and, and this is what I was talking about before. This is why I wanted to make it more of an integrated conversation because Unless you get Real Muto, you're not getting your steals at catcher. Yes, I know Bo Naylor could steal a few bases, but realistically, you're not getting many steals at catcher. You're probably not getting your steals at first base, you know, unless you take, you know, somebody early like Freeman, and even then you're not getting a ton of them. You know, and, and then third base is similar. There's a couple guys there who run, and, and yes, you, you could wind up with Michael Garcia. So really, it, it's kind of down to middle infield and outfield. And because there are five outfield slots, it really is an opportunity to make sure, like, and and if it's a standalone league, you don't have to win the category. But it's an opportunity to make sure that you get steals. And in particular, if you are at the back end of the first round, and John, you, know, you brought this up earlier with me getting Judge and Alvarez, this is where there, there's just a number of players that – I think there's some steals attached to them. There's Mullins, who I mentioned before. Um, there's Lane Thomas, who I, I didn't draft him tonight, but I was thinking about it. And part of the reason I almost talked myself into him. A lot of people talked about how he had a down, like end of the end of the season. But I didn't realize this until tonight. A lot of this, he, he was playing through a back injury in September. And it was a short-term thing. He actually was kind of fine in the last week. And I don't oversell Lane Thomas. He kind of is what he is, but. I don't necessarily think that he's this way overvalued outfielder that some people think he is. I think he could be fine. Um, and yeah, there's Jaron Duran, who I'm not necessarily like the biggest fan of. There's TJ Fridell, who makes me a little bit nervous, but the, there's steals are here. I think I actually like Chas McCormick a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the other theme with like whether it's McCormick or Mullins or, or Thomas. I like some speed or, or some power ties to these speed guys. I don't necessarily want to get like the empty speed. Sure. And so uh, we're looking at you, Esther Ruiz. Um, yeah. And, and you know, to, a lot of these players. Um... Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Might not be 20 steel players, but there are a lot of 10 to 20 uh, steel players in this range. And, you know, you can, like, sort of repeating what I said earlier, but you can really help yourself in steals um, by making sure that or trying to ensure that, you know, four of your five outfielders are double digit steals players. And if that fifth outfielder has, if it's like a Schwarber or if it's, you know, someone with a, a really, you know, um, John Hu Lee, if you're looking for an outfielder late and you need average and runs, um, you know, so they would have to be um, targeted for other categories, but you know, to your point about Lane Thomas, too, um, Nationals, right? I mean, just like with Abrams, there's no reason for – I mean, I know they do have some prospects, but yeah. you figure that they're probably, uh, you know, at least a year away. Um, and Lane Thomas is only 28. Um, it's not surprising that he was injured a little bit. I mean, this was his first season play, uh, having more than – 600 plate appearances. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's boring, but you know, it fills categories and 
looks like playing time's not not an issue. So yeah, and and he's over he, your like aesthetics in this. You know, you just have to be like, yeah, I'm gonna take Lane Thomas. You know, it's not it's not pretty, but it but it works. Yeah. What what's your what's your take on like Evan Carter, like Jackson Turio, Wyatt Langford? Well. Um, <laughs> Those those are those are three very different cases. I think I'm I'm well. Really, they are. I I I meant more in the general sense of like yeah. young players who either haven't been up or in Carter's case, you know, we we got a taste. Yeah, some someone took Carter at seventy in the TGFBI draft. He literally he has literally not gotten a hit off of a left-handed pitcher in the regular season in the majors. Like I I did not know that. Wow. He was zero for eleven uh, against lefties. Um, it's a very small sample, but. Uh, I am, there's no, I mean, I, I, I know he's got a lot of potential, but I'm, there's, there's a non-zero chance that he ends up, um, uh, platooning and he possibly could be platooning with Langford. Um, so, you know, Trio is a, a different case. I I'd say that he has the best case of the three, mm-hmm. um, because he signed the, the major league contract, the, the long-term contract, they have every incentive to play him on you know, opening day, um, the steals, there's very, very high ceiling with the steals and you could be risking in other categories. I, I still think he's going a little high, but if for some reason he fell, which he, he won't, um, yeah, I would look at him, but in general, to your question, um, I don't feel super comfortable with, with players who are, you know, either have no experience or very little experience. Yeah. I, I generally feel that way too. Like, especially, you know, in the case of like Carter and Churio, like inside the top 150. And and the other piece about that too is like, and I think it's true for Churio in particular, his price is going to climb. Like if, if he like has a big day in spring training or he winds up on a highlight reel, yeah, it's not difficult to see him going in tops inside the top 100. And I get it. Like th- this is kind of what ha- it was a little bit different, but this is what happened with Julio Rodriguez, like the year he came up, which was there was all this buzz. I mean, he was going later than this, to be fair, because a lot of people thought he'd be- get sent down. But in retrospect, like yes, J Rod should have got a lot higher, but he really is an exception that kind of proves the rule. I I think for me the comfort level with a player like this, and you know, again, different position, but I took Jackson Holiday and Labor like outside the top two hundred. That's kind of where the speculation level for me begins, where it's like, sure, like it's outside the top 200. And if it, if it completely goes wrong or if the player's not up, yeah, it's a bit of a bummer, but it's not the end of the world. It does feel to me like with a 10th round picker earlier, you really want more here. Like you really want to make sure that you're going to be a superstar, but you want to make sure you're getting a certain level of bankable stats. Like you, you do not want a player where you're like, uh, like, I, I can't believe that this is what I bought into and, you know, he's just kind of meh or he's just sort of like, OK. And and that's really the historical precedent. It's not J-Rod. Like, it's probably a player who's about five to 10 percent above like the major league average hitter, which for a 20 year old is really good, is great. Mm. But for, yeah. for fantasy, it's like, eh, OK. Yeah, the player I think of is Jordan Walker from last that's a, year. That's a good example. And and um, he was really and he was really good in real life. It's just for fantasy, it didn't really translate. But yeah, and and I think what separates and yeah, Julio is is a, a case um unto himself, but I think I feel better about that that type of player, the the player who is making a major league debut. Um, if there is um, a nice power base, um, you know, I feel a little less great about it if it's someone who, uh, you know, is is maybe more of a bat to ball guy with some speed. You know, I just don't I feel like there's a it's a harder path toward fantasy relevance. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess I feel that way about Holiday, too. But to your point, you know, you you got him much later then you know then churio and, and evan carter are going so i have no problem with that yeah well it, it, again too and it, this is kind of ties to what i said earlier this is sort of the positional difference which is there's so many outfielders and you don't have to like all of them but you there's enough of them that i feel like well you know with there's 74 outfielders going within the top 360 there's just so many other choices and you know there's some some names that we'll get into later that I'm okay with. And before we move off, I, I promise I, I kind of wanted to make the devil's advocate case for Esther Ruiz. 
I, I don't want Ruiz to be clear. And I, I think I have him ranked just outside the top 200, which means I will not get him like barring everyone in the room feeling the way I feel. Um, so the Kate, so the obvious case against him is one, well, one, I've heard the comparisons of Billy Hamilton, but the difference is, is that in an environment where the league was still like 2,200, 2,300 bases on the whole, the potential for Hamilton to steal 80 bases was much more valuable than it is for Ruiz when the league is stealing like, what is it like 3,400, you know, bases on the whole. It's just, it's a smaller percentage of the pie. So there's that. Um, the second thing is Ruiz is already kind of platooning toward the end of the season. I don't think he's even assured of, of a job for the whole year. Um, so, so those are my big, big concerns with Ruiz. Besides the obvious concern that you have to make up something everywhere else. He's sort of like the Luisa Rise of, ste- of steals, except a Rise is a really good player who should play all year and won't lose his job. And we'll give you something in runs and something in runs batted in. I mean, pop a few, like a couple home runs. Whereas Ruiz, it's like, oh, like he's going to be sub replacement level in runs and RBI. Like he'll, he'll get a couple homers. I, I know I've, I've heard he might, he's tried to bulk up like this, that, and the other. So I guess the, the devil's advocate case for him is that if you do have a draft where like you do what I did in, in labor and, and you take Austin Riley and Aaron Judge in the first two rounds and it's an overall contest and you're like, you know what? I can use one roster spot like this because I already have so much excess. You can do it. I, I still don't recommend it, but that, that's my devil's advocate case for, for taking Ruiz. Yeah. It's like, it's like eating, a, um, you know, like a burrito at Seven Eleven. like it, it'll fill you up, but you know, at what, at what cost. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, he, to your point about the, the playing time, and I'm looking at, I can't remember, I did actually have him in TGFBI last year, and the, the team did well, but um, he only had 128 plate appearances in the second half, um, and, you know, naturally the, the steals went down um, proportionate to the reduced playing time. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's really hard to calculate I mean, if you look at some of his projections, um, you know, you see <laughs> RBI projections in the in the 20s um, from the bad X, 28. That doesn't, uh, even, that doesn't even sound that doesn't even sound right. Like I'm not down the projection. Yeah. I'm more being like, oh, well, OK, so let's go to steamer 45. Um, yeah, he's got 40. He's got 41 at ATC. 41 I, for ATC. Like and when you're not getting uh, you're getting single digit homers and and a speed guy should be getting you runs and his run projections are none of them are above 65. Yeah. So um, it's really, he's really doing damage in other categories or not helping you in other categories. So that's, that's the, the price you have to pay. You really have to be careful about calculating how much you are ahead in basically the four other categories to take on board. Something yeah. like these. Yeah, and I, I don't. One thing I'll say before we move to the next group, uh, no more thing about Ruiz is that what I don't want to do, and I've heard people say this is, and this is of like a rise too of the, oh, like I'm I'm gonna work back, you know, I'm gonna like work where I have to get power like after Ruiz. Don't do that. Like don't don't have a team that's kind of your, if you, especially if you draft with projections where it's like kind of okay, and like oh I took Ruiz and now I'm first in steals. Every pick after that, if it's affected, I, I think that's where Reese is a bad pick, and, and it's just a bad way to draft. Right, because you're drafting for power, and your power is going to be receding, you know, as you go down the draft, and right. not getting value because well, it's going to be passing up. You know, well, there's there's that you're going to be drafting like players with lower averages, players exactly. with lo- lower runs as a result. Um, players with playing time or platoon risk. It, it's just and and you're doing it anyway outside of the top 200, but. But like to your point, John, like you, you're just tossing value aside um, for for one category. It, it's just not even an overall like it's just not really worth doing it that way. All right. Um, let's move on to like the next group. Um, this group is kind of similar in size. I think it has actually it's a little bit more It's 22 outfielders. So like I said, what, we're not what gonna, APs are we looking at here? What's our right. ADP range? It starts at um, Masataka Yoshida at 197, okay. and it goes down to Parker Meadows, who I actually like, at, at 283. Um, but but as a group, like, th- this is probably where, like, I, I've got my, you know, sleepers here for sure, too. But 
I like this group less. And, you know, some of it just makes sense is now here you're, you're probably there's less playing time certainty. There's some platoons are creeping in. There's cases of players like Jared Kelnick where it's like, oh, I see the upside, but I see a lot more of the downside. So it, it it's a tier that and I know I've heard a lot of people talk about how excited they are about Jack Sawinski, but. It's a tier that's kind of hard to love. Like it, it, I look at this group and I'm like, okay, this is more where I'm filling out. I think John, you said earlier, you know, talking about where you want to get your first outfielder or how you want to shop. Ideally, I, I think I want at least three outfielders on my roster before I get to this section of the draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I think here the main thing that I'm um, looking for like the the first filter I'd be looking for is um, playing time, um, and then you can you know you can tweak. There's kind of a um, you know boutique shopping uh, for every need here. You know if you want if you want power you you've got your Tyler O'Neill. If you want average you've got your your Brandon Nimmo um, and Yoshida players like that. Um, I just don't want to buy into to any any platoons or any real spec plays here. Um, so I do have, I do have players here that I would, you know, happily draft is like my OF four or five. Oh, me um, too. But, but yeah, but it's, it's a, it's a spotty, it's a spotty list for sure. Yeah. And the, the, there's some of the like shallow, like deep leagues d- dynamics come into play here as well. Um, like, like there's someone like Kelnick, for example, at this point in a 12 team mixed league, you're talking about your last outfielder. And I don't necessarily mind, you know, believing the upside, believing in Atlanta, like working their, I don't call it magic, but like working their, their scouting uh, on Kelnick and him improving. He certainly had the prospect pedigree. I don't want to necessarily in a deeper league, rely on him as like my third or fourth outfielder and be like, Ooh, like that didn't work out. And then I don't really have a lot there. And, you know, I've got somebody I've got to sit pretty much against lefties uh, because either he's not playing or he's just not very good. Um, yeah, just, just uh, and then here, you know, is the other side of this too. I mentioned him, I think in my, my tier article, you've got players like Brian De La Cruz and, you know, oh, how the, you know, once nearly graded fall, like Chris Bryant, where it's like at, at the prices, I'm kind of okay with them. And De La Cruz in particular, he's sort of that, that boring outfield in this tier and Lourdes Gurriel, I think is another example of this, where it's like, yeah, he's fine. I'm not expecting any more than that, but that's perfectly acceptable. And even Brandon Nimmo, like Nimmo, I, I wish he ran more. I wish, you know, to, to share another joke. I wish he had more than just hustled to, to first base after a walk. Cause he has the speed, but he just, he isn't really a base dealer. But Nimmo, because of that on-base percentage, he's kind of a nice runs play here. I know it sounds weird, but nice runs play. He, he's not a zero in home runs. You'll probably get like 15 to 20. I know he hit more than that last year. but And the average won't hurt you. Like, he's he's a pretty solid play. So, yeah, to your to your point, Sean, like, there, there's players here I like, and that, that's what you can do. Like, you, similar to last year, you you can find, like, enough hits here where you're like, yeah, okay, I, I can I can live with somebody here. But that, that's also part of it, too. Like, in labor – Leody Tavares was my fourth outfielder and I kind of knew what I was getting. Like got him right around his ADP of about 265. And, you know, I think he was like close to 15 home runs, close to 15 steals last year. I expect him to play because of his defense. And at this price in a good Rangers lineup, even at or toward the bottom of it, he's fine. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot to like in this tier. I mean, I'm actually, I was thinking about my worth draft and thinking about how, I ended up with a few outfielders below this tier. And so, you know, don't do oh, that. Yeah. Don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I, <laughs> I ended up with like Austin Hayes and uh, Brandon Marsh before his injury news came out. And I don't feel great about that. Ramon Laureano. I, I took Ramon Laureano with my last pick. Yeah, he's <laughs> he I, I did an AL I did an AL auction and I, I got him for a buck as my fifth outfielder, but it was AL. So it's like, yeah, whatever. That's, you know, <laughs> in that kind of league, does he play? Is he supposed to start? Great. Come on in. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, in, in this kind of league, you know, you don't really to, to be clear by Laureato is not even among the top 360. Is he even in the top 500? He might not. Um, yeah, oh, he he is now. He's up to four forty-five. So, hey, yeah, yeah with a bullet. 
Yeah, so we, we, we jumped too far ahead. I, I think I'm we, sorry, we, I didn't mean to do that. That's okay. <laughs> I, I think we do want to like kind of not again, not really talk about the last tier and we'll kind of done we do what we've done before, which is really just have a broader conversation here. So yeah, the last group of, of outfielders that I, I usually profile rounds 19 to 24. They start with Jose Siri, and the, the last outfielder, at least in the group in the 24th round, is Pete Crow Armstrong. And, and yeah, th- this is where, even in a 15-team league, this is your fifth outfielder. If you're drafting two or more outfielders from this tier, and sorry sorry if this is true for your worst team, worst team John, you've probably done something wrong. Um and again, like it, it, this goes back to liking players and not liking players. Like I like players in this group. Like I like Brent Rooker. I like Matt Walner. Um, I like Will Benson, but I like them in a way that I I can't afford to have them be vital to my team. Like I like I like Benson more is in labor. He's my fifth outfielder, and it's like, well, I it's a fifteen team mixed league. I hope he steals 20, 20 to twenty five bases. I really don't need him to do much else. And if he does that. Super, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's kind of what you're hoping for. You're hoping for something solid. And then on the other end of it, like if you have to get stats, you know, someone like Alec Thomas, you know, someone like Alex Verdugo, extremely boring, but okay. Like I, I can live with extremely boring this late. Yeah. I think, I think generally in this tier, if, if I, you know, if it's like a bench outfielder or my my last outfielder um, I'm in my starting lineup, I, I see a lot of players here that that can take a step forward, you know, that have a path to playing time and are young. And, you know, so the self relic, um, you know, Will Benson, as you mentioned, um, Alec Thomas, good example, Alec Kirloff, like these these are players whose best seasons might be ahead of them. Um, but yeah, at this point, you, these are not players that you want to get too attached to. It's definitely the, the speculative tier, I think more than anything else, because playing time is drying out, uh, in this, in this tier, regular playing time is, I think. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think the other thing here too, is this is probably where I want to avoid the older, this has been, you know, we talked this in other podcasts. This is my philosophy in general. I, I don't really want older players. But what I really don't want are older players like Giancarlo Stanton with the injury, you know, risk baked into that as well. Um, and, you know, somebody who was here before his moved down is Hunter Renfro. He I know he's only 31, but he kind of fits the profile, too, where it's like, uh, I, I just really am afraid of these players who's some of us think how the game has changed, too. Right. Like, I, I, I feel like 15 years ago. You could see, I'll, I'll mention a, someone who finished, I think finished with the Giants, like Steve Finley. You could see a player like that, John, just kind of last and last and last. Mm-hmm. You know, and nobody lasts forever. You know, eventually he he slowed down and couldn't play. But pitchers throw so much harder now, and, you know, there, there's so much spin, and there's so many other things they have going for them. It, it just feels like the, the road ends a lot more quickly and abruptly. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to be on the ride for a player, like, in his, like, mid thirties or even a little bit earlier where it's like, Oh, like clearly he just can't catch up to the fastball. And, you know, he's kind of like muddling through on the off speed and doing some other good things, but you can kind of see the cliff. Yeah. I'm, I am, uh, I'm starting to get sad for Giancarlo Stanton. Um, you know, there, there are the spring training photos where he's, he's slimmed down a bit. So maybe he'll, he'll pick it back up, but I'm probably not going to be the one to, to watch that on my fantasy team. But yeah, I think it's a really great point. Um, you know, the, the career arcs, it's, it's not from a lot of players. It's not a, a slow, steady decline. It's, it's, you hit the cliff and you're over the cliff and, uh, and, you know, either you are, um, out of the game or you're, you know, you're fantasy, fantasy irrelevant. So, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting when these like all these players that sign these like mega like long term contracts like to see what the heck happens with them. Um, you know, some of them are are great players. I don't think it will matter so much, but there are going to be some interesting cases, you know, players like in their late 30s where you're like, ooh, like I, I wonder if they can, you know, find a way to make them like go away and, you know, buy them out and you know all this other stuff, because, yeah, it could be. It could be ugly. So before we go, um, 
any is there anybody going like late here or like really late that you kind of like? Mm. <laughs> I already, I, already I, I know my, it's a lot. I know it's a lot of names too. Yeah, no, I mentioned my super sleeper Ramon Laureano. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's see. Is there anyone like that I like? Not really. I guess I want to just give a give a nod to Joey Gallo and and hope that he he gets one more. Um, you know, one more turn around the sun. And also, although I have no hope, uh, you know, every time I see Joe Adele turn on one in spring training and launch it like 450 feet, um, I, I think about, you know, that there, there may still be a chance. I don't, I don't see it, but I feel like, uh, you know, I could get, I could get um, sassy and, and take Joe Adele with my last pick in a, in a draft here or there. Yeah, I, I think the guy I, I kind of like here, like going outside of 400 is Hunter Goodman, you know, just because he's in cores. He he did very poorly in a, a cup of coffee last year with the Rockies, but he just hit the snot out of the ball, the minors. And it's just not difficult to see a scenario where he finds his way in the lineup, hits 20 to 25 home runs, like gets the cores boost and the average is good enough. Um, of course, the Rockies could very well rocky it up and it might not matter. So yeah, but again, it's a similar thing. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not saying to to boost him way up. I'm saying kind of take him in the reserve rounds and hope for the best. I feel like Dylan Carlson's going way too late. Did he yeah, get hurt I, or something? I mean, I know. No, he's... I, I think he's on the bench, and they don't doesn't really seem to be like a spot for him. Like that's that's well, kind of the problem. I, I mean, I know that, but six I, after pick six hundred seems a little extreme. Yeah. Like I don't know, maybe. Yeah, maybe... I... <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously is, not someone to draft because he'll be on your wire, but yeah. Well, well, this is the weird thing in general. Like there, there's outfielders. Like I, I look at here, you know, there's, there was a name that jumped out again. He'll be on your wire, but you know, I, I was looking at Jake Myers who presumably is going to start for the Houston Astros. And I, I'm kind of like, well, like I get it. Like he's nothing special, but he's a starter for a good team. Who's, who's going like at five seventy three. It, it's just kind of a, a strange, you know, it's just kind of a strange thing. Um, I, I guess the one thing, you know, I, I did see Jeff Zimmerman had a mining on the news piece where, you know, it said Jose Abreu will need to DH more because of his age, which really isn't surprising. Um, so I, I think that what will happen is, you know, your Don Alvarez will, will probably, you know, play outfield and McCormick or, or Myers will sit and it'll probably be Myers. So that's probably where that hurts him. Um mm-hmm. Incidentally, is an outfield, but I think where that who that could hurt too, you know, is, is uh, you know Diaz, you know Yonder Diaz, uh, just just because of the the idea that I think the plan all along is that the the Astros like want Alvarez at DH. Alvarez is the one who wants to like play some outfield. I don't think he wants to be relegated completely to DH, which you know I get. I, I think mm-hmm. some players. The funny about Alvarez too is historically he's he's a much better hitter. As an outfielder, it's one of those weird things. Like he, for some reason, like he just destroys the ball. As an, I mean, he's very, you know, he's still an excellent hitter. But if you look at his splits, like he's the, the outfield it, it makes ridiculous. total sense to me. Yeah. Well, it depends on the player. Like some some players yeah. matter. And like Adley Russian, for example, was great last year as a DH, and you know, just kind of like good to very good as a catcher. But yeah, anyway, we're we're getting really far afield here. Um, yeah, so so that's that's outfield, I think, for the most part. Um, interesting position, but I, I see what people are saying. It it, it certainly does thin out. Um, John, before we go, and, and this was kind of a shorter and sweeter podcast than usual, even though it's a big position, um, any other thoughts about TGFBI, or do you want to talk about that for a couple minutes, or, yeah? Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm drafting a team that I did not, think I would draft. Um, I, I feel like this is not really related to TGFBI specifically, but I have noticed that, um, you know, you seem to be, and this relates to your point about Stanton and other, you know, players um, that are maybe past their prime. Um, you know, you, you seem to be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, much more kind of changing your focus toward younger players with more upside rather than looking strictly at like, okay, this, this older player had a bad year, but we should expect some positive regression. Uh, so I just think that's interesting. And, and, um, I, and my T- team in TGFBI is certainly, 
except for George Springer, it's skewing fairly young. So you're you are not wrong, um, and it it wasn't really a conscious thing, but. I, I, and I think it's something projections don't do well, and that's part of it, is that projections tend to underestimate young players or they kind of take what they did already and just replicate it, which which for a second-year player makes some sense, right? Because there's not the, the major league data is really the strongest data. And, you know, it, it's it's something that's not the minor league environment. You know, you don't just want to take my, you know, there used to be MLEs where you would say, oh, take 15 or 20 percent off of the, the minor league numbers, which really turned out to be garbage for, you know, all sorts of reasons. So I get it. But but it's just I guess for me, like Spencer Torkelson, who you and I have talked about, I really like this year. You know, when Robert Orr like kind of details the changes Torkelson's made and, you know, all, and then it actually happens, that kind of excites me. And. I'd, I'm looking at Torkelson's projection. And, well, I, I think he should do better than that. And I works the other with an older player. When an older player is kind of slowly trending downward and the projection averages those three years, it's like, well, he's probably going to keep going down. Like he's, he's pro- the, the, this older player is probably not going to bounce back. And if he does, I, I'm fine missing out. Like I'm fine missing out on the 34-year-old who bounces back a little bit and be like, yeah, you know what? If, if I'm going to lose my league for that reason, I, I can live with that. I'd rather lose my league that way than than lose it because, you know, I sat on my hands when Tristan Casas, who I really like this year, you know, was up in the draft. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I'm not going to take him as the projection doesn't like him, uh, you know, mostly because of a really lousy April that he had. And then he, you know, fig- figured it out. Yeah, it's no fun to to lose with old players whose careers are at the end. That's just like the worst. So, <laughs> yeah, so so it's funny you mentioned that. Like, what one of the first pieces I wrote at at Baseball Prospectus, and this this was you know, oh my gosh, like eleven years ago now, um, and this was when I was still doing like mono leagues. It was a piece like it that was I think called "I Hate My Team," and. What it was, it was like a, a fake, although it was a lot of players that were on my team or the many teams I have, it was like a fake NL only team that was just these boring, like older players who were going to churn out volume and get at bats. And I had a starter everywhere. I was like, oh my gosh, like th- this team is not enjoyable at all. Like I, I'm going to win my league or I'm going to come closer to my league, but so what? And, and I think that's part of it. Like I, I'm not trying to oversell the idea of you don't want to draft a prospect everywhere. Like you don't want to take, you know, Churio and Carter and Langford and holiday, like two or three rounds above their ADP, because you, you surely will lose if you do that, but you do want to take some shots. And I think particularly in TGFBI or, or any league with an overall component, you want to take some shots. And, and those are probably the players you want to take shots on the younger players who have some experience, like not like Churio, but someone like Torkelson or Casas or, you know, somebody like that, who you're like, okay, well, I, I can see the path for this player to get better. And, you know, if they don't get better, if they slip back a little bit, well, it, it could happen. But it, it feels like a better bet to me than making the bet on the older player. Well said. Let's get yeah. out of here. Yeah, let, let's get out of here. Uh, I'll, I'll catch my breath. We'll, we'll take a, a deep, a brief break and we'll close up. Thank you once again for listening to episode 303 of Flags Fly Forever, a baseball prospectus fantasy baseball podcast. Uh, don't forget our coverage is still going strong at the fantasy side at BP. Uh, we're, we're in outfield week. Um, my tier article came out. Um, Friday we'll have the ADP piece, which will be just as long and sprawling as this. If we miss some names, you, you can find my analysis and the ADP of those players in that actual article. And we are very quickly approaching opening day. Uh, we're, we're less than a month away from the opening series. Um, but then really about a month away from the actual, like 
full slate of games. So we're really excited for that and looking forward to it. And you know, hopefully you'll be back with us next week. I'm not sure if we'll talk about Tout Wars, which I'm doing on Tuesday, or if we'll just plow ahead to starting pitchers. But either way, we'll figure it out and get it done. Uh, for Mike Jell and John Hagelin, thank you very much. We'll be back with you next week. I'll have a better microphone next week. I'm sorry. Good night. Goodbye. Yeah.